The fight over Tasmania's forests has raged for more than a generation. But all that could end with a new deal between the state's conservationists and the forestry sector. It's meant to be the start of a new era, bringing about peace between conservationists and loggers. In 2013, the Tasmanian Forest Agreement was passed by state parliament after years of intense negotiations between key stakeholders. It was described as a peace deal that would end the fierce battle over how to manage Tasmania's forests by striking a balance between supporting industry, supporting local communities and environmental protection. The peace deal was ushered in by Tasmania's then Labor Green government. But governments, just like peace, don't last forever. And a year after the deal was passed, Tasmania would hold an election and vote on its future. Tonight, Tasmanians have voted for change. Wild Asset, a podcast about the Tarkine region and the people caught up in a battle of industry, environment, politics and identity. I'm Lachlan Bennett. And I'm Imogen Elliott. In this podcast, produced by Fairfax Media, we'll be exploring one of Tasmania's most contentious patches of land and the clash of interests that will shape its future. The Liberal Party, led by Will Hodgman, swept into power at the 2014 election, ending 16 years of Labor rule. The Liberals promised Tasmania a brighter future, strong economic growth and stable leadership. Forestry was a major issue of the 2014 election, and Will Hodgman pledged to tear up the forest peace deal in favour of a new plan that would support growth in the forest industry. The Rebuilding the Forest Industry Act was passed in 2014. And a few years later, the government brought forward another piece of forestry legislation that has now inspired protesters to set up camp in the Tarkine. As that legislation moves through Parliament, Tasmania edges towards another election, due in 2018, and forestry policy is set to once again become a major issue. In this final instalment of Wild Asset, we explore how politics has shaped the management of the Tarkine region, where the major parties stand, and how they are pushing their policies. There are three main political parties in Tasmania. The Liberal Party is currently in power and wants to rebuild the forestry industry, in part by opening up part of the Tarkine for wood harvesting by private investors. The Labor Party, which has a strong history of winning elections in Tasmania, says it will continue to support the forestry industry. However, stringent regulation is needed to protect the market and the environment. And finally, the Tasmanian Greens argue that the Tarkine should be protected from logging and nurtured as an international tourism drawcard. All three parties have different ideas about how to manage the Tarkine, and all have the next state election in their sights. are picking this fight. They want this conflict. That's Cassie O'Connor, 
leader of the Tasmanian Greens Party. The Greens is now a national party, but it has its origins in the fierce environmental battles of Tasmania, such as the unsuccessful fight to stop the flooding of Lake Pedder in the 1970s, and the successful campaign to stop the construction of the Franklin Dam in the 80s. Because of its history of protest action, and the perception that the Greens will kill jobs and wreak havoc on the economy, there's a lot of emotive and highly charged language used to describe the party by non-supporters. Cassie O'Connor says the Liberal government has been working to whip up fear and loathing in the community towards environmentalists. It's been going on for decades. Uh, in this term of government, the Liberals have refined the art uh, and they've made it a core of uh, their time in government to demonise the Greens, demonise conservationists. Miss O'Connor was a member of state parliament when the Tasmanian Forest Agreement was passed in 2013. The deal put another half a million hectares of Tasmania's forests into reserves and provided federally funded compensation for those impacted by the changes. It also saw the minimum volume of timber Forestry Tasmania must make available to the industry reduced by about half to 137,000 cubic metres. The Tasmanian Forest Agreement was um, not perfect, uh, but we were prepared to vote it through because we thought this is a, you know, a once in a generation opportunity to um, have a measure of peace uh, in the forest in Tasmania. And we have had um, a measure of peace as a result of the Tasmanian Forest Agreement. When the Liberals came in and said they were tearing up the TFA, it wasn't a forest policy, it was a slogan. And they did so knowing that they were smashing apart in this term of government um, any chance for meaningful peace over the forests. They are the ones who are willfully um, trying to provoke uh, division and conflict in the community over forests, over our beautiful high conservation value forests. Do you think that there is any possible way to have a sustainable forestry industry in Tasmania? <clears throat> Well, there is, and um, the Greens have been arguing for um, a sustainable forest industry in Tasmania um, way back, um, in fact, since uh, we started um, in this parliament. Uh, when Peg Pup, for example, was the leader, we developed a forest transition strategy which um, set out the steps based on the evidence uh, for moving out of native forest logging and into plantation logging. Um, the, the age of industrial native forest logging is over. Um, the age of unsustainable native forest logging is over. The markets have ended that. Um, the Australian taxpayers' um, total unwillingness to keep subsidising um, the native forest logging industry is ending that. In the place of the Tasmanian Forest Agreement, the Liberals brought in the Rebuilding Forest Industry Act in 2014. The Act transferred about 400,000 hectares of land designated as reserves under the peace deal and made it future potential production forest, which could become a permanent timber production zone after 2020. Administration of that land was taken away from government business enterprise Forestry Tasmania, and the government also launched a review to ensure the long-term financial sustainability of Forestry Tasmania, 
and an aim to end the millions of dollars in taxpayer subsidies it receives. Resources Minister Guy Barnett says the Greens are backward-looking when it comes to forestry, and if they got their way, they could ruin Tasmania's forestry industry and cause massive impacts on the economy. I'd be a massive hit. Thousands of jobs in terms of forestry straight up. If you had the Tarkine National Park and uh, 6.5% of the state extra locked up on top of all the areas locked up under the previous Labor-Green government, um, the impact on jobs and uh, the economy and socially, it'd just be um, mind-boggling. Would it potentially ruin Tasmania's economy? Absolutely. It has the potential to ruin Tasmania. The state government's new Forestry Unlocking Production Forest Bill is the latest proposal for future management of forestry in Tasmania. The bill would see about 356,000 hectares of future potential production forest land converted to production forest land and made available to private investors from 2018. The land was earmarked as a reserve stashed for logging after 2020, but the state government wants to increase growth in native timber harvesting as soon as possible. The bill is currently up for debate in the Legislative Council, and groups such as the Forest Industry Association of Tasmania fear legislative debate could reignite the state's forestry wars. Meanwhile, protesters have set up camp at a forestry coop in the Tarkine and are hoping to gather evidence to prevent further logging in the region. How do you think the public's perceptions of this forest has been shaped by people like the Greens and their protesting out in in the Franklin River Coop? Well, in terms of the Franklin River Coop, which is the far northwest at the back of Smithton, um, just to make it very clear, the Greens, together with um, Labor and all of the Parliament, passed that area to be available for production forest in the previous Parliament, so before we became government. Then when we got into government, it was passed again. So twice it's gone through the Parliament to be made available for production forest. So now that the Greens are wanting to oppose it, it's like, um, I would call it hypocritical. Um, They have totally changed their minds. Originally they supported it, together with the Australian Conservation Foundation, the Wilderness Society and a range of other conservation groups. They all said it's absolutely fine to be harvested for production forest. So this is only a few years ago. Then the Parliament again has passed it through the Parliament. It's fine for production forestry. And so here we are. Um, in 2017 and they've changed their minds. But this is typical of the Greens. Um, They have a plan uh, and if they don't like what they are seeking to achieve and if they're not getting what they want, they change the goalposts and that's what they've done. An unsuccessful request for comment from the Tasmanian Labor Party was lodged for this podcast. An online resource summarises the party's stance on forestry. The party has vowed to follow the lead of industry stakeholders, and Labor says they don't see the merit in the state government's proposed legislation. What's happened in Tasmania is not entirely out of line with, with policies that have happened elsewhere in the world. That's Brett Bennett. He's an environmental historian at the University of Western Sydney. He's also the author of the 2015 book, Plantations and Protected Areas, A Global History of Forest Management. And as you might have guessed from his accent, he grew up in America. Yeah, I really um, love Australia. And in fact, I moved here because of its forests. 
According to Brett, the government's decision to tear up the Tasmanian Forest Agreement isn't an unusual story when it comes to how governments around the world have tried to manage forests. But these type of political situations and, and changes in policy do take their toll on the industry. One of the reasons why there has probably been such a decline in the timber industry, in addition to sort of mismanagement, uh, is that there's a lack of certainty. And so uh, investors uh, are, are wary of stepping into an uncertain environment. So even if the Liberal government opens up a forest, um, they may find that it's very difficult to get the capacity because investors uh, who need some long-term security are, are going to be warned off. One policy that has been relatively consistent over the last 30 years is the rise of neoliberalism, a push to limit government intervention in favour of the economic levers of free and open markets. While neoliberal policies have helped open Australia to international markets, it's also presented significant challenges for the timber industry. Prior to the 1980s, the Australian government saw timber production as a strategic necessity that the state had to guide. And so during World War I and World War II, there were timber shortages as a result of, of shipping problems and, and also having to uh, bring uh, softwoods and others uh, usable timbers to the war front. And so there was a real concern amongst the elite about protecting and creating a domestic timber market that would allow them to do import substitutions, primarily for softwoods. And in the 1980s, as a result of economic changes, which included, you know, cutting of subsidies for other things, the privatization or the leasing of, of state timber plantations, governments basically began to say, the state government and also uh, federal government basically began to say that our support is no longer required in the same way to sustain timber production. So what Australia is facing now is not actually a question of how to have the amount of timber that the economy needs, but rather do we continue to sustain and support an Australian industry, despite the fact that there may be other cheaper alternatives, though they may have downsides? Those downsides, according to Brett, relate to where Australia will source its wood if domestic production falls. And other countries may not be as environmentally conscious when it comes to forest management. If you look at what's happening in places like Indonesia, um, um, or even the extensive plantation estates that are being built up in places like Brazil, you know, one sort of comes away with the sense that Australia isn't actually uh, as bad in a global sense as maybe some people make it out to be. That's not to say um, things are perfect, but I think that we have to recognize that if we offset domestic production, that production will probably come from somewhere else. Uh, and it's very likely that that somewhere else will actually not be as sustainable as Australia. Forestry Tasmania is currently working to achieve certification from the Forest Stewardship Council, a move that would boost its environmental credentials and value on the market. Resources Minister Guy Barnett says because the government's plan would open up the future potential production forest to harvesting by private investors rather than Forestry Tasmania, it won't impact the certification bid. But Labor has expressed reservation over this plan, and it claims major customers have stated they would only accept timber certified by the Forest Stewardship Council. Therefore, they wouldn't accept timber from the future potential production forest. Environmental groups have also expressed fears Forestry Tasmania's certification bid 
is at risk. It's very clear that logging these reserves would um, fundamentally jeopardise Forestry Tasmania's attempt to get um, yeah, a credible global certification. That's Vicar Bailey, a campaign manager for the Wilderness Society of Tasmania. He believes that the government's new legislation could be damaging to both the environment and Tasmania's brand. What people are, are only uh, well, ha- have increasingly come to understand uh, as the public debate about this move um, rolls through is the destructive nature of this legislation for Tasmania's brand, uh, which is predominantly uh, you know, a nature-based, a clean, green brand. It'll be destructive for our timber industry, and of course it'll be destructive for our community. Um, you know, Tasmania has suffered for many years under um, a cloud of controversy over logging in our spectacular forests. I'll be really happy with the day that we finally um, seem to be able to put forestry to bed if we can um, and have a sustainable industry. That's Ruth Forrest. She's an independent politician for the seat of Murchison, which stretches across the northwest of Tasmania and covers the Tarkine region. Miss Forrest says that forestry was a big issue when she was first elected 12 years ago, and it remains a big issue today. And we seem to spend an inordinate amount of time discussing it when there's so many other really important matters we should also be giving time to. Miss Forrest is a member of Tasmania's Legislative Council, which is currently debating the government's new forestry bill. The Legislative Council is Tasmania's upper house, and it has 15 seats. Ten of those seats are held by independents like Miss Forrest, and only two by the Liberals and three by Labor. The Legislative Council has yet to vote on the forestry bill, but when they do, Miss Forrest won't be supporting it. My first response was to look at, well, why are they doing that? Is there a market? Who's asking for this? In terms of the industry players, you know, the people actually working in that space. And um, so I contacted major employers in my area. I talked to a, a range of other key stakeholders, and none of them were happy to support it. Um, and they were really, um, the, the major employers in my area were particularly concerned it could threaten jobs in their businesses, particularly when they relied on overseas customers. So that was pretty clear. The more work I did, the more that became apparent. I do accept there were some small sawmillers who were having trouble getting adequate resource um, at the moment. Uh, and that's, I believe, and special species timber sector also uh, um, has some challenges in accessing that timber. But there are other ways to address the um, access issues, and I think if the government was serious about assisting those, they would focus directly on those rather than potentially threaten a much broader in industry in the approach they're taking. A number of um, times we've been told in the, in the parliament that the government has a mandate for this. Uh, well, I think I have a pretty strong mandate because I had, you know, was um, strongly supporting my electorate and I'd made it very clear throughout the duration of the campaign and before um, that, that to my view on this particular piece of legislation was not to support it. Resource and land management aren't the only ways that governments have tried to resolve the conflict around forestry in Tasmania. In late 2014, the Hodgman government brought in tough new anti-protest laws to crack down on anti-logging action. 
the laws make it an offence to carry out protests that prevent, hinder or obstruct business activity, including on forestry land. Protesters who repeatedly interrupt business activity face fines of up to $10,000 and up to four years in jail. After the laws were passed, Paul Harris, who was the resources minister at the time, said, and I quote here, Tasmania will now have the strongest legislation in the country to protect the rights of workers to lawfully earn a living while ensuring the right to free speech and legitimate protest have been protected. But others believe that the laws do the opposite of protecting free speech. The main problem with the Tasmanian protest laws is that they're just written in such vague and broad terms. So they essentially just go too far. That's Emily Howie. She's the Director of Legal Advocacy at the Human Rights Law Centre. The real problem with this law is that it's going to have a chilling effect on the way that people participate in basic what should be basic democratic institutions of, of protest and free speech. And instead, we're seeing the government trying to shut down that kind of protest. Instead of, instead of shutting down protests, our democratic government should be facilitating it and making sure it does happen. Because we know, just looking at the past, how much progress has been made in Australia because of protest movements. The long-term effects of this kind of law are really difficult to quantify, but what, what we can know from the past is just how much this kind of democratic activity has built Australia and built the things about Australia that we now cherish. And if we want to continue that progress, and progress in a, in a way that's consistent with what people want and care about, then we need to maintain our freedom to participate in political life. In January 2016, former Greens leader Bob Brown became one of the first people to be arrested under the new anti-protest laws. He was charged along with five other people protesting the logging of the Laponia Forest in Tasmania's northwest. That's right, officer. I'm here for the forest. They're here to destroy it, so we've got an impossible situation. Oh, so, in short, you're not prepared to leave the area? That's correct. Okay. So uh, I'm going to arrest you then for failing to, to, apply, um, for failing to apply with my um, direction, so which is yeah. to leave the area. The charges were later dropped, but Mr Brown didn't stop there. Along with another protester, Jessica Hoyt, he is challenging the anti-protest laws in the High Court. This is the first case where they've had to consider a law that directly targets um, what people think and what their political belief is. That's Roland Brown. I'm a lawyer for Bob Brown and uh, Jessica Hoyt basis of the challenge is that um, this law targets um, people who are protesters and targets them uh, because they hold a, um, a political view or a social view or an environmental view or opinion uh, and that's enough to trigger the operation of the Act. 
constitutional challenges, um, uh, you know, most of them fail. Uh, it's an uphill battle because the, the starting point is that state parliaments are entitled to legislate in, you know, the areas that they want to legislate in. So um, <clears throat> we went there with, with some reasonable arguments, but success is... Um, <clears throat> is something that, um, well, it's 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 a long way off. Bob Brown and Jessica Hoyt are still waiting for the High Court to hand down its decision, and Tasmania is still waiting to see whether the forestry bill will pass the Legislative Council. But as political debate continues and the government pursues its plan to rebuild the forestry industry, Local communities go on. Sawmills and tourism operators continue with their daily business, and protesters remain on site in the Tarkine. As Imogen and I have produced this podcast, we have asked many different people what they believe is the best way to manage the Tarkine, and we've gotten many different answers. Aboriginal ownership. We've got to be able to live off the Tarkine. We don't need any more lockups. There's got to be a way to find a, a convenient, appropriate balance. Brett Bennett, the environmental historian, takes a more philosophical approach when it comes to how governments should manage their forests. I think it's to recognise that there is no essence to nature, uh, and that nature itself involves humans and is ever-changing. And so I think a lot of people think that we can just lock up nature and it'll be okay, but that's problematic for a few reasons um, as a result of uh, climate change or uh, ecological uh, fluxes, um, species movements. That said, I'm, I think we all have a responsibility as stewards to ensure the full suite of nature, let's say genetically in terms of species and biogeographic range is passed on to the future. So I guess the trick is doing, doing that with good science uh, and ensuring long-term uh, monitoring there's, there's no ideal way to manage uh, forests. I think that uh, Tasmanians will sort it out. Um, and I'm hopeful uh, about Tasmania's uh, forest-based future, um, be that native uh, or plantation in the future. And I think that um, you know, Tasmania's time um, will come. So that wraps up the Wild Asset podcast, and Imogen and I would love to know where you stand when it comes to the Tarkine. We've spoken to politicians, activists, business owners, and community groups, and they've given us a lot to think about, and we've certainly faced a lot of challenges while putting together this podcast. We sure have. I mean, the first challenge was how do we even refer to the Tarkine when it has multiple names, multiple uses, and an undefined boundary? Tasmania also has a really deep and complex history when it comes to forestry management, and it's hard to make sense of it all when there's so many interest groups with conflicting agendas. As the state heads towards an election, we've tried to give you listeners an overview of the main issues surrounding the Tarkine, so you can realise that this is more than just a battle of industry versus environment. This debate is still ongoing, and we'll let you know what happens with the High Court Challenge and with when the Legislative Council finally votes on the Forestry Bill. To keep up to date, make sure you subscribe to Wild Asset on iTunes, SoundCloud or Pocket Casts. You can also read more about this issue by visiting the Advocate website, theadvocate.com.au, or following us on Facebook. Thanks for listening.